Man, I remember when we were working on the service six months ago, I was on my rollerblades on the, uh, on the trail, and I was just listening to that story that we might be using, which we ended up using, of Jessica. And I just started getting teary hearing it. Didn't even see the visuals. And then I came back and said, I think somebody had recommended this video. Let's see if we can secure the rights and use it. And then I watched it, and I just like, so meaningful to me at so many levels, as a, as a father of someone with special needs, as, to see the power of forgiveness in someone's life, to see the power of adoption as we are adoptive parents. I think there's something that moves us. But beyond the special needs and the, and the, the adoption is the idea that someone could find such freedom and hope and joy despite all those surgeries and, and, and seemingly being rejected by their birth parents and we know people like that who just get stuck in a funk of anger and bitterness and their whole life is just replaying bitterness and anger and they get stuck in those deja vu moments of telling the same story about how they were wronged and what happened to them and what so-and-so did or didn't do and you're trying to beg them out of that deja vu moment. And yet you see her living despite what happened to her. And, and living with joy and purpose and hope. Living out the power of forgiveness. I don't know about you, but I want that in my life. I got plenty of moments and minutes and months of my life that I got plenty of deja vu, making the same mistake over and over again. <clears throat> running straight into a wall again and again. But boy, I want the power what she had in my life, don't you? I want to talk about how we do that. How to get access to what she had. There's a piece of ancient wisdom from the book of Proverbs that speaks about how to do it. It says, he, these live and learn folks, if you want to live and learn what she knew, he, a wise person, a live and learn person, covers a transgression. Covers it. Because you seek love in yourself and for other people. You don't want to walk through life chained down by bitterness. So you cover the transgression to seek love. Now, a deja vu person doesn't try and bring people together. They repeat stuff. They gossip. They, they malice. They tell themselves how wronged it was. And they just get stuck in this loop that they can't ever unembitter themselves. Because they don't know how to conceal a transgression to seek love. And we're going to look at today these two unique ideas that almost seem contradictory. But you're going to see how they come together. The idea that how can I keep both eyes open when I look in the mirror? What did I do wrong? How did I wrong the person involved? What do I need to own up to? What do I need to reconcile for? How do we keep both eyes open when we look in the mirror? Yet how do we also cover one eye when we bring people together? There's no such thing as forgive and forget. You always see what happened to you. In fact, you can't forgive unless you know what happened. But you see what happened with one eye, but you're willing to cover it. You're willing to forgive it for the sake of repair and reconciliation, fixing your own heart as well as others. Now, it's a lot easier, a lot easier to do the, op the opposite. I keep both eyes open toward other people's faults, what other people did wrong. And when I look at my own self, I'm like, well, no, I think I was justified here. I think I was fine. It's very hard to create an environment in your own heart to open your eyes to what you've done wrong, but also be willing to see what wounds have been put in you and say, I'm willing to cover one eye to bring myself and others together, as you saw in Jessica's story. So I'll give you three reasons why we can do that, how we can do that. The first reason why we need to keep both eyes open 
and yet be willing to cover one for others is that it brings repair to others but restoration to myself. See, when, when we keep uh, one eye closed, when, when we cover that one eye for other people, it lets us repair relationships. I saw what you did, but I'm willing to cover it for the sake of our relationship, for the sake of our marriage, for the sake of our friendship, for the sake of my own personal freedom. God, I want to repair and also, keeping both eyes open to myself, seeing my own mistakes, seeing my own blind spots, it brings restoration to me because I can grow and I can learn. Here's how ancient wisdom says it. It's really interesting because it, it takes these two ideas. It uses the same word in two different ways in, in the Proverbs. It says a live and learn person is someone who covers, and the word is to cover over, like someone who's naked and you, you clothe them. When you clothe a transgression, when you cover it up, it's because you're seeking love. Well, then it says, however, he who covers, same Hebrew word, but this time it means to conceal or to dress something up to pretend there's nothing wrong underneath or to cover it up. So this is to cover like to clothe, and this is to cover to conceal. He who covers his own sins is not going to prosper. When you don't look in the eye and see what you contribute to the problem, you're not going to prosper. But when you confess, when you agree, when you see it and forsake those things, you're going to find mercy. Mercy from the person who you asked to forgive you. Mercy from the relationship. Mercy in your own life. And you saw that in Jessica's life. She said, man, I had these secrets. I didn't know that if I, I shared how angry I was or I, or I let people see my tears or let people see what I was struggling with, I just didn't know if I would still be acceptable. Think of them like the words conceal and the word cover. To conceal means to close your eyes towards your own wrongdoing. La, 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 I didn't do anything, wasn't my fault, nothing I did to contribute here. Concealing is bad. But covering is to close one eye in forgiveness, to repair relationship, and to restore your own heart. And you saw that in Jessica's life. When she was open to her own hurts, open to her own wounds, open to her own fears, man, some healing, some medicine got down into her. And when she was willing to think that maybe God, even though I don't know why this has happened or why I, I lost my legs, I'm willing to let the medicine come in and say, God, I'm open to the wounds I have. And if you would come in and heal it and help it and forgive me, I would love not to live in bitterness. So would you be willing to open both eyes when you look in the mirror, but cover one eye for the sake of a relationship because you want to repair yourself and the friendship, the relationship between you and a son or daughter or husband, wife. The second thing the Proverbs goes on to say is one of the reasons you want to do this is because living embittered is, is, is it'll just dry out your bones. See, covering one eye, being willing to cover a, 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 um, a transgression, it will bring joy back into your heart. It will marry your heart. In contrast, Covering both eyes, not seeing what you've done in the, in the issue, will dry your bones. And you've seen that, haven't you? You've been to a family reunion or you've been kind of hanging out the water cooler at work and you've heard somebody who's told the same story over and over about how they were wrong five years ago, what so-and-so did two years ago. You're not going to believe what happened. And every time they tell the story, their adrenaline level goes up. They get more and more angry. It's like they are drying out their bones before you. And you're like, come on, it's better over here. I know that really happened. I know how bad it is. But come on, let's, let's get out of that rut. Let's, let's find a better way. But they just can't get out of that deja vu pattern because they don't know how to cover one eye for the sake of repair. 
That's exactly how the ancient wisdom says it. <laughs> it says you want to know a, a merry heart, a hope-filled, a forgiven heart. It's like good medicine. And even if the other person doesn't deserve it, I'm going to take the medicine of forgiveness because I want to heal my hurts. I want to hurt my, I don't want to carry the chains of embitteredness into my life. I want to take this medicine and forgive because I want to be free. I don't want to be pulled down. A broken spirit, an angry spirit, an embittered spirit, a depressed spirit, it dries out your bones. So for your own sake, I'm sure if you told me your story and you told me everything that so-and-so did and why they did it and how they did it, I'd be like, man, I'd be crying alongside you. I'd say, that is horrible what happened. But I'm telling you, what happened to you in your yesterday doesn't have to determine your tomorrow. We can drop some healing and some hope and some forgiveness and begin to bring medicine into those inner wounds and inner brokenness in relationships. I'm reading a book right now about a third of the way through it. A couple of medical doctors in our church, I was talking to them about a series we have coming up in several months. They mentioned this book. It's called The Body Keeps Score. That when you go through trauma, as serious as PTSD for veterans or, or some type of sexual trauma that happened in your past or even as easy as just circumstance beyond your control. I read lots of research several years ago that said special needs parents often suffer from the symptoms of PTSD just because of the constant bombardment of chaos. The book shows from a medical perspective how if you don't deal with that trauma, if you don't find how to get forgiveness into your life, you don't forget how to get hope, how to begin to feel those feelings that are deep inside you, that it actually changes you on a biochemical level. They can actually cite trauma in a, in a grandmother, gets passed on to her child and gets passed on to their grandchild. Trauma passes at a multi-generational level that can medically be tracked. So putting joy into your own heart, finding out how to deal with your own trauma or your own brokenness or your own lack of relationships or your own kind of embitteredness, I'm telling you, it's not just going to help you. It's going to help everyone two generations down the line to marry your heart and the hearts of future generations. But it's not easy. Just ask Kim Fu. You probably recognize her as Napalm Girl. When the Vietnam War was at its height, they took a picture of this little girl got known as Napalm Girl because when the napalm hit her village, it was suddenly a 1,000 degrees, burned off all her clothes and a lot of her skin. And she talks about the trauma she experienced from that and being so angry at God. She wasn't really a follower of God, kind of followed Buddha a little. She couldn't believe somebody was taking a picture of her naked and on fire, or at least her skin felt on fire. She then got picked up by the propagandists of the Vietnam when she got so famous in that Life magazine cover that they used her over and over again for propaganda. She was just a tool for propaganda. She wondered what she had done wrong. She hated life. She hated her government. She hated our government. She hated the people who dropped that napalm on her. She got to a place she was going to commit suicide. She wandered in this little library in Vietnam and sitting there was a New Testament, which is the biographies of Jesus and his followers. She picked it up and she began to read about a God that loved her and a God could work in the midst of any and all situations. And she began to see something happen in her. She was so tired of being angry, so tired of the hatred, so tired of the bitterness 
so tired of being tired that her life wasn't worth living. And she began to read about this Jesus, this God who loved her and made her special. And then she comes face to face with his first sermon where he says, And forgive your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. <laughs> I don't think so. But she tried everything else. Why not? So she said she took her enemy list and turned it into her prayer list. Talk about counterintuitive wisdom. And she says she began to learn the love God had for her. She began to see things change. She began to see the shackles in her own heart began to come undone. She began to realize that she was feeling joy and hope and forgiveness and purpose again. She was learning to love her enemies by learning that, that she was loved by God. She moves, she sneaks out to Cuba of all places and eventually ends up in Canada. When she gets to Canada, she was invited in 1990s, I think it was 95, to come to a gathering of Vietnam vets. They were gathered together to honor their service, to honor their commitment, to honor the way in which they served our country. And she was invited to come. And she was there at the front, and this commander walked up, eyes down. He couldn't look her in the eye, but he said, I was one of the commanders who ordered the plane drop on your village. And she said, I want you to know that I forgave you a long time ago. He couldn't look up. He, he said, you, he finally said, look in my eyes. He goes, I have carried the burden of this my entire life, 24-7. You just don't know how much shame I have. And, and I beg you for your forgiveness. And she pulled him aside. She said, I can forgive you because I have a God who's forgiven me. And she embraced the guy who sent the bomber on her village. Whew. That's otherworldly forgiveness there. Suddenly makes whatever my grudge is, <laughs> whatever my story is, as real and painful as it is, and they all are. But if she can, can access to a power can do that, I want some of that. So how did she do it? How does this thing work? Well, as Jessica saw... She had to come to a place that she understood that God had forgiven her. You see, the reason we can forgive or cover one eye toward others is when we realize that God covered one eye for us. When you look at the fact that God sees everything we did in the past, <laughs> he sees everything we do in the present, and he sees everything we're going to do in the future, all our secrets, all our motivation, all the intentions of our heart, God sees it all. And we look good on the outside, but we don't always look that great on the inside. But God sees it all. He says, if you'll have it, I got great news. I'm willing to see what you've done and cover one eye. In fact, there's another piece of ancient wisdom from Proverbs that says that hatred, and it stirs up strife in yourself. Even if the other person doesn't know you hate them, you're causing strife in yourself. You're just stirring it up and stirring it up and stirring it up. Every time you tell the story, you're stirring it up, stirring it up. Just all that pollutants in your heart and in your body. Your body's keeping score of all that. However, love covers. 
a multitude of sins. And there is no greater love than the God of the Eunice who would, who would come to earth and he would allow himself to have railroad spikes pounded into his arms and into his feet, tortured by the, the torture uh, devices of the time in Rome. And in the middle of all that, what comes out of this guy? What comes out of Jesus on the cross? Lots of people have been crucified before. Romans have seen thousands, tens of thousands of people crucified. But in the middle of this crucifixion, what comes out of him is, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Really, the Romans don't know what they're doing by crucifying you. They perfected this science of torturing people. Yeah, but they don't realize that they're torturing God. They don't realize that they're rejecting the gift of forgiveness. And so Jesus was able to cover the worst, cruelest. In fact, the word excruciating that we use was a word invented by the pain you experienced on the cross. It was out of the cross kind of pain. It was in excruciating pain that God showed us that he's willing to cover everything we've done. And wisdom is found on the lips of him who is understanding. Well, I'm not talking about just trying hard. No, no, no. You're able to cover your eye towards someone when you realize the God of the universe saw everything we did. And you know what was on his lips? <laughs> Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Wow. What's interesting in the book of Proverbs is that wisdom is not just a theory. It's not an ethereal idea. It's not like a logic like Aristotle and Plato thought. In, in the Bible, wisdom is a person. In fact, it says, and later on, it says that when the Lord gives wisdom, but also wisdom was with him. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heaven. Wisdom calls aloud outside. I will pour out my spirit. That wisdom is a spirit. And more than that, Jesus shows up in the New Testament and says... You want wisdom? You want truth? I am wisdom. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's either the most arrogant thing you've ever heard in your life, like me saying, I am logic. I am mathematics. I am philosophy. You'd be like, woohoo. But Jesus is saying, you don't just want wisdom in general. I am the very source of wisdom that can teach you that when I cover for you, you can cover for others. That's why this message is so life-changing. That's why it transformed Jessica's life, can transform your life, and has transformed lives of people who come to our church. When you realize God has covered one eye for you, then you're able to go and cover one eye for others. But it's not easy. It's not easy to learn to walk in forgiveness. I mean, Jessica literally had to learn to walk. She was rejected because she couldn't walk. And her parents couldn't take care of her. So these stories are dramatic stories you've heard today, but they're just as hard for us to say, how am I going to learn to walk in forgiveness? How do I open my eyes that maybe it wasn't everything they did wrong, maybe I did something wrong? Or maybe it's a situation you truly didn't do anything wrong. Then you look to God and you say, God, in light of everything I have done wrong in other situations, God, teach me to learn what you've forgiven me for so that can be the motivation. They don't deserve it. I want to be free, and I want the freedom you've given to me. And you learn to walk in forgiveness. Glenn Cunningham 
I was born in the 1900s. And in 1916, there was a tragic fire, he and his brother. In the middle of this fire, when he awoke, his legs had been burned. And so much so, there was hardly any circulation, and he would suddenly not be able to walk again. He looked at his mom and dad. They were farmers, well diggers, actually, in Kansas City. And he said, what happened to Floyd, my brother? He said, well, when the explosion went off on the farm, we burned your legs, but we lost your brother. He had no feeling anymore in those areas that were burned. The kids later would call him scar legs with the cruelty that only kids know. His mom began to every day massage his legs, try and massage feeling back into them. Every once in a while, he would feel a pain. He took pain as a good sign that, the, that there was still some nerves working. And again, mom would massage those legs, but he, he couldn't walk. He would try and step up out of his chair, and he'd collapse. He couldn't even feel the floor. But he was committed to try to learn how to walk in this new life. It's a lot like forgiveness. You just feel like parts of you have gone dead there's no feeling, there's no circulation anymore because of what happened and how it happened. So part of the process of learning to walk into forgiveness is, is working back in. What if God really did forgive me? What if it really is true that, that everything I've ever done could be forgiven? What if I begin to push life back into those extremities in my life, those hearts and wounds in my life? Well, Glenn, he's outside at the, the picket fence they had out on the farm. And even as a small child, he's eight, nine years old, he would pull himself up on the fence and just crawl along the fence trying to push life back into those little legs as he learned how to walk and push life back into those. And sure enough, one day he called out to his dad, I can feel the ground again. Feel the ground. Oh, my goodness. He kept pulling himself along that fence line. And pretty soon he learned how to walk again. And as he learned how to walk again, he couldn't hide his limp. But he found out that as he went from walking to running, his limp wasn't quite as noticeable. So he began to run. This kid who was never going to walk on good old scar legs is now a runner because he learned how to walk. And his parents talked about a Jesus in their life, a God in their life who had a plan for his life and could work in the midst of the most difficult and challenging of circumstances. And Glenn, at age 12, he starts running and winning races. And he doesn't look the same when he's running because people can't see his limp as he goes on to win state. He goes on to win nationals. He goes on to the Olympics. And in 1936, Glenn Cunningham, the man who had his legs burned, who learned and retaught himself to walk, would run the fastest mile at four minutes and four seconds in human history. And he would say, his faith in Jesus and pushing life back into places that life and scars had taken over was the secret to how God and Jesus worked through his, his story. He had to learn how to walk. And maybe you have got some scars and you see yourself and tell people that story that you're old scar legs because of what somebody did to you. But Glenn Cunningham isn't known as Scarlegs anymore. He's known as the Iron Man of Kansas because of what he was able to do and what God did through him, the fastest man on earth in 1936. So I want to go back to Jessica's story one more time. Let me give you just a couple minutes of her describing her life after meeting her mom and how she learned to walk it out. Let's watch. Coming home after Russia, it definitely, um, it was a heart change. But 
It also opened up a lot of other questions and questions that I had to really come to terms and talk to God about, you know, um, questions and that I thought I already had answered. And I realized that it's okay to have those questions. It, it, it's okay to talk to God about it. You know, since accepting Christ as my savior, I don't have to just go to God and, and have it all together. He knows that I don't have it all together. And I think it's something I still fight. You know, I still fight that feeling of being in control. And I am constantly reminded every day that I need to give it to God. Every day when I put on these two prosthetic legs that are heavy and they still hurt me, my legs still cause me pain. And I think it's honestly this really cool, beautiful reminder that I can't do it on my own. As determined as I am, I just can't. Coming in for the wall. This is when the entire race comes down to the ending. But I just put my head down and just pictured God almost racing alongside with me when I swim, like he's just there. And when practices get tough or races have been hard, I just call on to him. God, like, this is hard. This is really hard. And I just feel, you know, just keep trying, Jess. Like, I'm here with you. I love that picture. I'm here with you, Jess. Just keep trying. I want to pray that God would be here for you, that you, maybe if you've never had that experience before, that you'd say, listen, I don't know. That's pretty powerful. I want some of that. I don't know if that's true. But just to say that to God, God, I got questions. I got doubts. I don't have it all together. I haven't got it all figured out. But God, I want a little piece of what you have, that God would teach you to walk in forgiveness. Let's pray. Father, I confess how easy it is for me to hurt others and not see it. How easy it is for me to cover my eyes toward my own wrongdoing. Maybe you want to say the same thing to God. Say, God, forgive me for my blindness for concealing my own intentions. God, I invite you to forgive me, past, present, and future. I invite the wisdom of your forgiveness into my heart. And God, teach me to walk out that forgiveness with others when it's painful, when it's difficult, because I want to be free. And Father, we ask for each person who prayed here today, those who have wounds that were not caused by them, they were caused by someone else, Father, that you would deposit medicine into that person, God, that the medicine of your love and your grace and your hope, that they are not determined by what happened to them or by what they have done, but Father, they can be determined by how you see them fully and finally forgiven. Thank you for this time this morning to wrestle through these challenging things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you'd like to kind of process through some of the wisdom that we've had together, we've got three groups that you can do that with. One of them is going to be following along with some of the material we've talked about in the series called Live and, Live and Learn, Group for Men. Let's look into some of these passages and wisdom, apply it to our lives. Number two, just generically, I want to have purpose in my life. Uh, we've got a series called The Purpose Driven Life you can sign up for. We'd love to have you in a group meeting other people, wrestling with some just 
fun facts, some, some tough facts, some, some challenging teaching. And then lastly, a group of women are going to go through the life of Jesus in a series called Seamless and how the Bible seamlessly all fits together. We'd love to be part of that. Thanks for being here. We'd love to put a name with a face. Third door on your left is the hearth room. We'd love to say hi. Thanks for being here today.